Amen. Thank you, young people. That was wonderful. What a good reminder today. What a mighty God we serve. Amen. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 39 as we continue our series, God Meant It For Good, The Life of Joseph. And I trust this being a blessing to you. I trust this being a challenge to you to see how Joseph is handling all these challenges that are coming in his life. We'll begin reading today in verse number seven of Genesis 39. If you have a copy of your Bible, be opening it there. If you don't have one along, look in the pew rack there. There should be one open to the very first book. Find the 39th chapter. I want you to read along with us today. Genesis chapter 39, begin reading at verse 7. Genesis 39, verse 7. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth or knoweth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass that she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. Verse 12 says, and she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, see, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. She spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and was fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which he spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the, to the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a mighty God. Thank you for the privilege of being allowed to serve you. I pray, Lord, you'd work in this moment. Bless the preaching of your word today. Father, work in each heart. Work in each life to your glory. We trust you and praise you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Kevin was a very inventive guy. He was always trying out new things. And one day he wanted to see just how fast his bicycle could go before it lost control. And so Kevin pedaled as fast as he could. And he got the bike up to 30 miles per hour, but he was confident he was sure it could go twice as fast. Well, his friend Eric had an old Mustang 
And Kevin went to Eric and asked him if he could tie his bike to the bumper of that old Mustang to test his theory. Now, remember, I said he was inventive, not smart, but uh, Eric agreed. He said, sure, you can tie your bike to the back of my old Mustang. And, and, And Kevin did so, and he gave some instructions to Eric. Here's what he said. If I ring my bell once, I want you to go faster. Okay? If I want you to maintain speed, I'll ring the bell twice. And, and, and if I want you to slow down, I'll ring the bell repeatedly. I'll keep on ringing it. Okay? So, once to go faster, twice to maintain your speed, and repeatedly if I want you to slow down. And off they, set. they went. Well, things were going pretty good, and Eric was slowly increasing speed, and he got the old Mustang going up to, to just over, or well over, 60 miles per hour. And Kevin, back on the bumper, was handling this speed really well. Things were going fine with the bike. And suddenly, as they're going along, a black Corvette pulled up beside them, revving its engine. And Eric forgot about Kevin on the back bumper on the bicycle and started racing the Corvette. Now, down the road sat Deputy Todd in his police cruiser. And he could hear the cars coming from a distance long before he ever saw them. Long before the radar flashed 105 miles per hour. (laughs) Deputy Todd got on the radio and called headquarters and said, you guys aren't going to believe this. But there's a Corvette and a Mustang racing out here on Highway 3. And right behind them is a guy on a bike ringing his bell and waving his arms like crazy, crazy trying to pass them. <laughs> the thrill of a challenge. For some, it's the challenge to see just how fast I can get my bicycle to go. For others, it's the challenge of seeing just whose car is the fastest, the old Mustang or the Corvette. There are some challenges in our lives, beloved, that we welcome with open arms. We enjoy them. They endear themselves to us. And there are other challenges that we want to avoid at all costs. But all of us here today face challenges. Some here today are facing the challenge Of some health issues that are going on in your life or in your family's lives. Some of you are here today and you're facing financial challenges. And we're living in a very wacky time right now financially. And still others this morning, you're facing challenges in your marriage. You're facing challenges perhaps with your children. You're facing challenges in your families. How do we meet those challenges? How do we endure those challenges? Better yet, how do we overcome those challenges? And best of all, how do we glorify God in these challenges of life? It's no exaggeration at all to say that Joseph has lived a challenging life, even just so far in our study. In just this 39th chapter we've been studying uh, last week and this week, he faces the challenge of subjugation, that is, being a slave to, to Potiphar. He faced the challenge of temptation. We saw him last week, the Potiphar's wife. We, we called her predator, if you remember. He faced that challenge. Today, we're going to see two more challenges thrown at him. This chapter alone is, is, is just filled with monumental challenges. But if we, we rewind just a bit, we see he faced the challenge of a doting father. 
He faced the challenge of some hateful brothers. If we fast forward just a bit, we find there are other challenges waiting around the corner for him. And I want to give you the key to victory in Joseph's life right up front today. And it's this, beloved. The Lord was with him. We find it in verses 2, verses 3, verses 21, verses 23. The Lord was with him. That is what made the difference. I want you to remember this. If you get nothing else out of this today, the hero of the story of Joseph is not Joseph. It's not Joseph. It's Joseph's God, our God, Jehovah, the Lord, our mighty God. And if we're going to face life challenges victoriously, we're going to have to face them in the strength of the Lord in his strength. Not only can we as believers, those of us who know Jesus Christ, can we say the Lord is with us? We can say today the Holy Spirit is within us. The Lord is with us. The Holy Spirit is within us. We're not alone in these challenges. In fact, we enjoy many benefits that Joseph did not have. We have the completed word of God, the Bible, inerrant, inspired, infallible, authoritative. We have the church in our church family. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, our Sunday school classes. We have all these advantages that Joseph knew nothing about. And on and on we could say it today, the things that we have. But we know this, the Lord was with him. The Lord is with us. And if we set out to conquer and tackle life's challenges on our own, we are in trouble. The arm of flesh will fail us. But I'm so thankful today, and I trust you are as well. That when I face challenges, the Lord is with me. Isaiah 41, 10 says this, fear thou not, for I am with thee, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. When we left Joseph last week, he was running for his spiritual life. He'd been attacked by a persistent and a provocative temptation. He doesn't even worry about his coat, his garment. He leaves it behind and hightails it out of there. And some of you may remember what I shared with you from Ed Heinsohn a couple of weeks ago. He said the real test of human character comes when the bottom falls out of our lives. You see, that's when our faith in God is challenged. Can I still trust God after everything that's happened to me? If he really loves me, how could he let this happen? Living for him just isn't paying off. And today we're going to see the bottom fall out again for Joseph. He's already tackled and conquered and been victorious in the challenge of subjugation and temptation. Today I want to show you the challenge in his response to humiliation and incarceration. Let's talk about the challenge of humiliation. What did Potiphar's wife do when she realized that she was left standing only with Joseph's garment in her hand? She wanted him sexually. She had waited and connived and tried every trick in the book. And that was surely not going to happen. Joseph was not going to bend. He was not going to yield. And she's left there standing With his garment in her hand, you heard that saying, no doubt, hell hath no fury like a what? A woman scorned. (laughs) As much as she longed for Joseph earlier, she loathed him even more now. She desired revenge 
He was going to pay. And she was going to make sure of that. And under this challenge of humiliation, notice, first of all, her lies. She lied to her servants. Look at verse uh, uh, 13. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he had brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. She lied to her servants. Here's what she did. She quickly yells, help, help, help. He's trying to rape me. Can you see this wicked scene played out in your mind? I want you to notice the words and what she says very carefully. Verse 14, notice what she says. Then she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, see, he hath brought in in Hebrew. Who's the he? Part of her. She speaks unkindly, unwisely about her husband there. Potiphar brought in this slave. Notice likewise it says, he had brought in in Hebrew. What do we have here? Some anti-Semitism? Some hatred of God's people? Look on what it says, to mock us. That is, to violate me. And she doesn't say just me, she says us. He's done all of us wrong. She's trying to make sure that everybody's against Joseph, look at verse 15. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried. He left his garment with me and fled and got him out. She said this, I cried, I screamed. I did everything I could do to prevent this from happening. He was trying to violate and rape me. And I cried and I did all that I could. And he ran off scared. And I've got his garment right here with me. She lied to her servants. She also lied to her spouse. Look at verse what it says in verse 16. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. Of course, that's Potiphar. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, watch what she says to him. The Hebrew servant. There it is again. That anti-Semitism, which thou hast brought unto us, came in unto me to mock me. I mean, in telling this story, she actually accuses her husband, Potiphar, for bringing in Joseph. And it says, and it came to pass, verse 18, as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. I'm not sure that things were so great between Potiphar and Predator here. She lied about Joseph. She lied to her servants. She lied to her spouse. But I said here that Joseph was facing the challenge of humiliation. That is, he was facing false accusations. These things were straight from the pit of hell. They were lies. Proverbs 26, 28 says, a lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Put yourself in Joseph's sandals for a moment. She was telling everybody that he was a rapist or at least an attempted rapist. He was a sex offender. He was dangerous. He was perverted. And he not only was a jeopardy and jeopardizing her, but all the women of the house to mock us. Beloved, this was a humiliating ordeal. She was marring Joseph's godly reputation. She was flushing it down the drain publicly. And remember, he's a slave. He's a slave. He was what my grandfather would call between a crust and a hard pan. 
you might say, between a rock and a hard place. He's a slave. How could he defend himself? How could anyone believe him above her? And even if they did, what could they do? Because she was the master's wife and he was a mere possession. Now, what happened? Potiphar comes home and she says this story to him. Verse 20. And Joseph's master or back at verse 19. It came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, after this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. Now, that is to be expected. Any husband who was told by his wife that someone, some man had tried to sexually abuse her, what would happen? Yeah, there'd be trouble in Anseville tonight, wouldn't there? If that happened here, I'd have a very busy week. I'd be visiting you in jail and I'd be going doing a funeral as well. Right? Yeah. In other words, you would respond with that. But what's very interesting with Potiphar here is it says his wrath was kindled. It says he gets angry and he does imprison Joseph. But notice it doesn't say to whom his anger is directed. It says his wrath was kindled. What do you mean, preacher? Well, I'm not so sure. Listen, I'm not so sure that Potiphar believed her story. What do you mean, preacher? Well, Potiphar knew Joseph and Potiphar knew his wife. And it could be that he was angry at her. But to keep up appearances, he threw Joseph in jail. Or it could be he was angry at himself for letting all this happen in the first place. He may have been angry because he was now losing Joseph and all the blessings that came from Joseph's presence in his house. Think about Potiphar here for a moment. Poor fellow, he lost Joseph and kept predator. Think about that. Now, we dare not speak dogmatically here. We're not specifically told, but I think we're right to consider the possibility of this. Why? Well, look at who Potiphar was and look at what Joseph's punishment was. It says, verse 20, and Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in prison. Now, remember, Potiphar was Pharaoh's bodyguard and the chief executioner. Bill Crowder in his little book on Joseph said in ancient Egypt. The penalty for adultery was a thousand lashes, but the penalty for rape was death. And on top of that, Joseph was a slave, just a slave. And I believe that if Potiphar really believed that Joseph, a slave, had tried to harm his wife, he would have Joseph executed immediately. Now, if I'm wrong, then we know the reason he didn't do that is because the Lord was with him and the Lord preserved him. But I think it's a real possibility here that Potiphar knew in his heart of hearts that Joseph was not guilty, but he had to keep up appearances. He had to do something. He had to respond to her lies. But I want you to notice this morning as well. His losses, that is Joseph's losses. We'll talk more about his imprisonment in a moment. But right now, I want to talk about what Joseph lost when the bottom fell out. First of all, he lost his job. He had been faithful. God had prospered him. He was a slave, but a very successful slave. He was an overseer of the house. He was a trusted servant of Potiphar. And now all of that is gone. He lost his job. Secondly, he lost his comforts. He was a slave, but he had perks. He had some privileges. He had a position that no other slave had. And now all of that is gone. Third, he lost his reputation. And I think this would be the greatest blow of all, would it not? 
But Joseph had to die to his reputation. He had to face these false accusations, and he did. And what's interesting is we don't read anywhere of him trying to defend himself. We don't read of him answering the challenges and the charges against him. Just like the one whom he's a picture of, a type of, the Lord Jesus. It says in 1 Peter 2, 22-24, who did no sin, talking about Jesus, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Listen, Joseph had no control over his reputation at this point, but he did have control over his character. I want you to hear that. No control over his reputation. He had control over his character and he still had that no matter what they did to him or didn't do to him. He knew the truth. God knew the truth. And even that wicked woman, Potiphar's wife, she knew the truth. I like what John Butler said. We need to take care of our character and let God take care of our reputation. We need to take care of our character and let God take care of our reputation. He lost his job. He lost his comforts, he lost his reputation, and he lost, of course, his freedom. And that brings us to our next challenge. That is the challenge of incarceration. It says in verse 20, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. Now, he's already endured one pit in his life, and now he's in another one. What's going on? Is this the reward for righteousness and purity? Is this how Romans 8, 28 plays out? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Listen, he's headed for the palace. But to get there, he has to go through the pit and the prison. God is growing him. God is maturing him. God is preparing him. No, God did not cause This false accusation. God did not cause this slander and this mistreatment, but he did allow it. And he will sovereignly overrule it for Joseph's good and God's glory. Notice what it says in verse 21. But we just told he went to prison, but the Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. I like what Theodore Epps said. He said this. God did not send Joseph to prison. He went with him. He did not send Joseph to prison. He went with him. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Joseph was being punished for doing right. Did you hear me? Doing right. And that's the way it turns out sometimes, beloved. But God is still on the throne. God is still in control. He will honor the godliness and purity of Joseph. I pray I never have to face the challenge of incarceration. That's not something I would relish, long for, ever desire. I wonder at times when I look at our nation and the way we're headed, if it may not be an option one day to either stand for the truth and preach the truth and go to jail or shut your mouth 
and dishonor God. But I know this. If that were a challenge God would give to me, the Lord would be with me. The Lord would help me. I want you to notice some things about this prison, this incarceration. Notice it's where the king's prisoners were bound. Many scholars see this as a place where the political, not criminal prisoners were bound. I want you to get out of your mind this morning, this country club environment. He's not sitting in an air-conditioned cell watching cable television, working on his college degree. Get that out of your mind. You need to understand this type of prison that Joseph was thrown in was very, 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 very unpleasant. It was horrible. We're not told this in Genesis, but if you go to the book of Psalms, we learn something about this incarceration. It says in Psalms 105, verses 17 through 18, listen, he sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant. Listen, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. Do you understand what that means? He refers to it in verse 15 of this. uh, The next passage, Joseph calls it a dungeon. Alistair Begg said prisoners in dungeons were manacled and the chain was fastened to the central pillar. Any movement was defined by the length of the chain with irons on his feet and neck. It would have been very difficult for Joseph even to raise his head and look up, much less move. And Psalm says what? It says that he his feet were hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. Can you see him being taken and cast in that dungeon? And they fasten those iron to his feet and his neck. And he's there and he's being punished for doing right. Because he did right. Listen. He may have been chained. He may have been in the dungeon. But he still had a clear conscience and he still had his godly character. And most of all, he still had his God. The Lord was with Joseph. And although he was chained for some time and his feet were hurt with the fetters, how long we don't know, there came a time when those chains were removed And the whole episode that played out in Potiphar's house, it began to play out in the prison itself. It says in verse 22, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it prosper. Just like cream, Joseph rose to the top. You just can't keep this good man down. How did he do it, preacher? The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Lord's presence and blessing was so evident on Joseph in his life, and he cooperated with the Lord's working in his life. Now, think about something today. We never read about Joseph being vindicated and cleared of these false charges. I don't read that in Scripture. Also think about this. Even later... When Joseph is Potiphar's boss. Think about that. We never read of him taking vengeance on predator. Don't read it. Joseph trusted God and left all the consequences to him. He walked by faith and not by sight. He was not under the circumstances, but over them. He was not mastered by his feelings, but he mastered over them. He was master over them. Now, listen, those are some very important keys as we face the challenges in our lives. 
Steve Farrar wrote something I want you to hear. He said, our first reaction, listen, our first reaction when we suffer loss is to question the goodness of God. I have done that and so have you. And as I read that, I thought, man, Steve Farrar has been watching me. I've done that. I'll be honest. He said, may I be frank here? We must learn to grow up in our faith. We must get hold of our hurt and our disappointment and anchor our lives and our emotions on the truth of God. And the truth is simply this. God is good, does good, and is in control of all things. He says, I may not see it. I may not feel it. I may not understand it. I may not appreciate it. But this one thing I know, God is good. He's good. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 68, Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Alistair Begg hit upon the same truth when he wrote, When we sing, God is so good, he's so good to me, we have to acknowledge that this remains true even in the dungeon. Because our good God is working out all things in conformity and the purpose of his will. That's why we need, he said, that's why we need a theology. We can't live wisely without biblical doctrine. We can live only as silly people. Here's what I'm saying to you, beloved. We have to rest on the truth of God's word and God's character. We cannot rest and trust our feelings. We cannot rest and trust our emotions. We can't even trust and rest upon other people. We've got to rest upon the Lord. But if you're like me, maybe you realize that if you're real honest about it, your faith is weak. And you know that challenges are coming. And you've been through some challenges and you're in some challenges. And I was struggling with this in my own life even this past week. And as I was studying, something came out and one of the works I was studying is this. I'm not to trust in my faith. I'm to trust in God and his faithfulness. Did you catch that? It's not my faith. I don't trust in my faith. I trust in my God and his faithfulness. And that set everything straight for me. <laughs> Weak faith or no, I serve a mighty God and he is faithful. In the darkest and hardest of times, beloved, we must not doubt God's goodness and faithfulness. God is good all the time. God is in control all the time. And rather than bypassing the prison, God chose to use it in Joseph's life as training for his real promotion that was coming. And the challenges of life, we must look to and trust in God alone. Now, let me ask you today, what challenge are you facing? And on the heels of that question, will you trust him in it and with it? I'm sure many of you know the name and story of the late Corey Ten Boom and how she survived the Holocaust. Perhaps you read the book or watched the movie The Hiding Place. I understand that as Corey traveled around the world, she often carried a small piece of tapestry with her. And Don Anderson tells the following story about Corey and that piece of tapestry. He said, one time I was privileged to hear her speak and, and I watched she display the piece of cloth to the audience. At first glance, it was an ugly item. 
Its threads were tangled and ragged and snagged. But he said this. When Corey turned it over, the onlooker knew that they had been viewing only the back of the piece. Because beautifully embroidered on the front were the words, God is love. And beloved, it depends on which side you're looking at. If we look at things and we see a tangled mess and a ragged threads and something is certainly not beautiful. Yet from the Lord's perspective, God sees he's weaving and making us more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Many would look at Joseph's situation. Maybe even you reading it today. You say, how horrible, how unjust. And it was. And we look at that and say, how horrible, how sad. But as Anderson observed, from God's perspective above, the prison experience is simply a thread woven into the tapestry of a beautiful life. It all depends on which side you're looking at. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good. To them who love God. To them who are called according to His purpose. What challenges are you facing today? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads as we close this service today? I don't know all the challenges you're facing, but God does. And I wonder today, will you give those challenges to him? To do so, first of all, you must know him. You must be born again. You must have come to the Lord Jesus and been washed in the blood of Christ and be forgiven of your sin. And if you've never done that, friend, that's your greatest need. And maybe the Lord is working on your heart about that right now. May I exhort you and encourage you to cry out to him for mercy and say, God, I don't want my sin. I want the Savior. And trust him. And make sure of that and be settled about that. If you know him today, you know that he is good all the time. You know that. Even if you can't see it, smell it, taste it, touch it or feel it. You know that God is good. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. And he's loving And no matter what you're going through, as difficult as it may be, it does not change his character and his faithfulness and his goodness. And friend, in all honesty, and I say this kindly and I say it to myself, we have to grow up in our faith and learn to trust God and his faithfulness. And here's what I want you to do today. Whatever the challenge is. Will you lay that burden at his feet today? Lay it at his feet and say, God, you know the challenge. You know what I'm going through. But you are faithful. You are worthy. You are holy. You are good. You change not. I trust you. Lord, use this to make me more like Jesus Christ. Would you do that today? Father, we love you. We praise you. Father, at times our faith is weak. You know that. But thank you that you are strong. You are mighty. And it's not our faith 
It's your faithfulness that we trust in. I pray today, if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, that they'll come to you right now. And I pray for those who do know you, who are struggling and going through all sorts of challenges, some even multiple challenges, just like Joseph. Lord, help them to cast those things at your feet. To come lay them down and say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. Use this for your glory. Use it for my good. I trust you. Have your will in this invitation now, I pray. In the Savior's name, amen.